3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Hello, Carly. How's it going? Hey, Priya. Um, Yeah, you know, another week in uh, lockdown. So, yeah, nothing much to report. Um, But we do have a really (laughs) fun show lined up. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, for the past two weeks, we've been doing long form interviews, but this time we're coming at you with a huge amount of various content. Um, So you want to kick us off, Carly? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, we'll hear an interview with Messiah Rhodes, filmmaker and host of the documentary series Against All Odds. Um, Messiah was interviewed by Amy Goodwin on US current affairs program Democracy Now! on the 14th of August. And his new documentary series is available online at ajcontrast.com slash against all odds. And it explores the challenges faced by people released from prison, especially women, through telling his mother's story. Yeah, I'd be really interested to listen to that. Um, Something I haven't been doing enough is listening back to the show once it's all put together. Um, So after that, we've got Sounds of Lockdown. So for the next little while, we'll be producing soundscapes of the lockdown. So a few weeks ago, we heard some sounds from Morocco, and we'll be trying to recreate those little soundscapes here. Um, This is a bit by Scheherazade, who's pulling this together. Um, So this is looking at soundscapes, which are like a landscape, but sonic, that helps to create a sense of place through audio senses. And uh, we're going to be giving an idea of sounds to stage for lockdowns on unceded lands. Cool. And um, after that, we're going to hear Vicky Roach, who's an Aboriginal writer and activist, speaking to Marisa Sposaro from The Doing Time Show about her lived experience of prison, violations of human rights of the healthcare of women in prison, the over-incarceration of Aboriginal women, and prisons within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode aired on the 10th of August, so we'll just be replaying part of that segment today. Um, but if you want to check out the full episode, I believe you can find it on the Do and Time page uh, on 3CR's website. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct, Priya. Um, definitely encourage listeners to go and listen to the Do and Time show. Marissa interviews such incredible guests every week. And then lastly, Priya, um, we hear a phenomenal interview. Yeah, so um, I'm so lucky to just happen to know um, somebody, Tina Grandinetti, who is um, one of the co-organizers of the Cancel Rimpact movement in Hawaii. Um, She's based on the island of Oahu, and uh, Rimpact is the Rim of the Pacific Exercises, which is the world's largest maritime war games. And Tina joined me to talk about um, the movement to cancel Rimpact and about uh, you know, the connections with decolonization movements and 
other struggles. And it was, yeah, a really interesting chat. Um, Tina is a PhD candidate at RMIT and is also a lecturer at the University of Hawaii. Awesome. Amazing. I'm really excited to hear that actually, because I've heard of the Maritime War Games before, but never really read into it. So I'm really excited. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, uh, you know, perhaps unsurprising that even though during the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, you would assume that some sort of health measures would be prioritized for military personnel. Uh, the U.S. has decided to go ahead with it, even with a reduced number of countries. And of course, Australia is participating. Wow. Mm. Well, now we'll go to Kate Kelly with the news. Good morning. I'm Kate Kelly, and here are the top stories on 3CR this Thursday. University fees for a range of disciplines are set to rise after the Morrison government bowed to demands from the Nationals to spare prospective psychologists and social workers from the biggest increase in costs. And despite the change to the higher education package being promoted as a way to protect students in psychology and social work, those students are still facing increases of more than $1,000 per year compared with existing fees. The Morrison government introduced its proposed job-ready graduates legislation to Parliament on Wednesday after the coalition joint party room signed off on the deal on Tuesday. The key element of the deal with the Nationals is removing psychology from social work from being bunched together with the humanities, which are facing a 113% increase in student fees. The government says this means people studying psychology or social work as part of a pathway to professional qualifications will face annual student fees of $7,950. Under the government's original plans, fees in this area were set to rise to $14,000, the same as law and humanities. But the newly proposed fee of 17950 is still higher than what would apply if the legislation failed to pass the Senate. And a cut to job seeker payment would lead to Australians flooding charities and community groups for help, as well as an increase in homelessness, a new report from the Peak Social Service Agency claims. So the federal government is under pressure to outline its future plans for the unemployment payment and not slash its back to its pre-pandemic rate of $565 a fortnight, which is well below the poverty line. The unemployment payment was effectively doubled with a limited time coronavirus supplement earlier this year, but the rate is set to be slashed from $1,115 per fortnight to just $815 from September 25. On Wednesday, the Australian Council of Social Services released a report report with evidence from social workers about the benefits of the boosted job seeker benefit on their clients. The report was released to coincide with National Day of Action from the Raise the Rate campaign, with supporters being encouraged to contact their local MPs and the Prime Minister on social media and over the phone to push for the welfare payment to remain at its high rate. And in federal news, Labor has called on the coalition not to rush changes to national environment laws and to establish an independent watchdog to monitor and enforce the law. The government is expected to table amendments to the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act to devolve development approval powers to the states and territories. 
It promised the changes last month after receiving an interim report from Graham Samuel, the former consumer watchdog head who was reviewing the act. The report found the country's natural environment was in an unstable state of decline and governments had failed to protect the country's unique wildlife and heritage. The Environment Minister Susan Lee said on Tuesday she would introduce the first of the amendments to provide greater clarity about how bilateral agreements between Canberra and the states to streamline approvals would work. So parts of the Act, such as the water trigger introduced when Labor was in government, would require legislation in order to be devolved to the states. Labor's environmental um, spokeswoman Terry Butler said the opposition would reserve its position until it had seen the legislation, but stressed the Commonwealth needed to retain a strong role in matters of national environmental significance. And that's it for Thursday's headlines. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. G'day you mob, Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe. And of course, keep listening to 3CR community radio to keep connected to the community we'll get through this and hope to see you real soon bye you're listening to 3cr thursday morning breakfast 855 a.m and now we're going to head into a new track by jk47 and this one is called i am here trust me and it features phoebe jacobs you think you above me, now you be quick to come and judge me I wonder why you just can't love me, damn it's getting ugly Down about a thousand in some funds and wanna make me pay your price with my life Try and make it nice, put your reasons and excuses down But you see the worth that your words useless now, the truth is out You putting labels on your own kind, prejudice and hatred got you making up your own mind So blind toward the fact that I ain't more than black You lying to yourself and everybody else And let my people die inside themselves when you are meant to help Don't talk about the struggle when it's more than mental health So what we gotta do to see our daughters living well Cause we ain't doing this ourselves when they ask How come this the outcome of being brought up in this hell Tell me get a bucket, but there ain't no water in the well 
Nah, I ain't stupid, bruh. So I'm on the watch when a couple cruises pass. Because I'm black, I can never tell the two apart. If he's a couple, just a dog trying to chew my ass. I'ma split it for my peers and my brothers. Fuck the shoes and cars. I ain't in it for your oohs and ahs. I'm doing this for my community. And half my people don't know who to be. Reason being, we got no identity. You know I had him watching that rain pit a powder Thinking my life didn't matter no more As I fall to the floor looking at God like what you mad at me for JK47, I Am Here, Trust Me, and the vocals featured Phoebe Jacobs. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 855 AM on your dial. 
Up next, we're going to play a short interview from Democracy Now. Democracy Now is an independent award-winning news program hosted by journalists Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez, produced in the United States. Democracy Now actually plays on 3CR each Monday from 9 to 10 a.m. But we're just going to play for you a short interview with Messiah Rhodes, filmmaker and host of the new documentary series Against All Odds. Against All Odds looks at the over-incarceration of women in the United States, focusing on the experience of Messiah's mother, um, and he describes the doco as a response to calls to defund the police. It's a great doco series. You can check it out online at ajcontrast.com slash against all odds. So stay tuned for this great interview that played on Democracy Now! on the 14th of August uh, with Messiah Rhodes, and you'll also hear from Deanna Hoskins as well. As the COVID pandemic rages in the United States, people in jails and prisons are 550 percent more likely to get infected, 300 percent more likely to die. Those granted compassionate release are joining others who are being released after serving their sentences and returning to their communities. For many, their criminal record makes it hard to find a job and even housing, especially true for women. The coronavirus crisis and the movement for racial justice have magnified these challenges, which are the focus of a new AJ+. And AJ Contrast documentary series called Against All Odds by filmmaker Messiah Rhodes, whose own mother was in and out of jail throughout his childhood. She was able to break the cycle of incarceration after she was treated for mental illness and substance abuse. In his reporting, he meets other women who found their way out of prison and are now helping more to do the same. Messiah himself will join us in a few minutes. He's a former fellow here at Democracy Now!, but this is part of the first episode. I lost my mom to the criminal justice system for 15 years. And I can't help but wonder, how would my life be different if she didn't keep going back to jail? I was crushed when they took you. It messed me up. I couldn't handle it. She was one of the 77% of incarcerated women who are rearrested within nine years. My name is Messiah Rhodes, and as a filmmaker who grew up with a mother in and out of jail, I wanted to understand why breaking the cycle of incarceration is so difficult. What makes us so different? We are human beings, we're people. I'm 50 years old, and I'm turning my life over. I started filming this before the COVID-19 pandemic and the uprising over the killing of George Floyd. But the issues of systemic racism in the prison system have never been more important. It doesn't matter what the odds are, I will bet on formerly incarcerated women any day, any time. When I think about how my mom grew up, I think about how trauma is carried across generations. What happened to your parents? They both died. Very young, my parents, in their 30s. My mom gave me to my grandmother right when I was born from the hospital. Because my grandfather went to jail for four years and we struggled. We hardly had food. At 17, my mom got pregnant with me. Substance use and mental health problems were hindering her life for years. We was in family court, and he took you away from me. I was so devastated. It messed me up. I couldn't handle it, so I started using drugs even more. I was supposed to try to get you back, but I just got deeper and deeper and deeper involved in the drugs. I couldn't get out. I was medicating my pain. 
stuck in a vicious cycle. She went in and out of jail four times. I had no place to go when I came out. I was homeless. So I started using right away. This theme of fundamental lack of support is something I heard from women across the country. I have 10 felony shoplifter convictions. At what point did a flag go up to say, hey, this lady, this woman, this girl needs some help? If I'm a mother and you want me to be able to thrive, right, wouldn't you want services in the community? You know, wouldn't you want the government to have programs so that I don't have to commit another crime? There is no central system, locally or federally, to support incarcerated individuals. But organizations like Hope House are trying to fill in this gap. It's a woman-only reentry program in the Bronx. And this is our kitchen area where the women have full access to the mm -hmm. kitchen cooking and, you know, this is their home. Renee Sykes, co-founder and program director, passed away from COVID-19 in May of 2020. I visited her just a few months earlier to learn more about Hope House. We deal with it from a holistic approach. A lot of reentry, they want you to get a job as soon as you come out, right? But if you haven't dealt with those traumas that affected you at 12 and you're 50 years old and you're still battling the shame and the guilt, right? So you heal the mind and then the body will follow. Like these women, my mom finally found a supportive housing program that kept her out of jail and helped her begin the process of healing. It's lunchtime at the Rhodes home. Macaroni! Seems routine, but it's actually quite remarkable because a year ago, Juanique Rhodes didn't seem like she'd ever have a home. In 2008, a news crew in New York City did a profile on her recovery. I lived in this abandoned shack for a while, you know, going in and out of there to get high. Prostituting to support a drug habit, Juanique gave birth to one child addicted to heroin and another she abandoned at the hospital. Those two children were my brother and sister. I never knew them growing up. This is the first time all three of my children were together. Years earlier, my grandparents became my guardians after the courts decided my mother could no longer look after me. They wouldn't let me see you. Yeah, how did that make you feel? I understood what she meant because she was saying we wasn't consistent in your life. So she stopped us from seeing you. You know, I just send you pictures and stuff when I was in jail. I just drew stuff and sent it to the house. I don't know if you got any of that. You did? Uh, I did, and then it stopped after a while. So you did get that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I got a little, like, Messiah bib. Mm -hmm. I think I, I kept that until I was too old to have really? that around. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, so. After we reconnected, my mom's life was back on the right track. But another obstacle still remained. Getting the job. That's the new documentary series called Against All Odds by filmmaker and host Messiah Rhodes with AJ Plus and AJ Contrast. Joining us now for more. Oh, Messiah, congratulations on this incredible series that grew out of looking at how your own mother broke the cycle of incarceration. Can you talk about what it meant to you to make this series and what you've learned at this point in the midst of the— um, Black Lives Matter movement as we move into the Democratic National Convention and policies being drawn up, that your documentation of this story is what those policies should be all about. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Um, it's really good seeing you all, through all this pandemic times. So, like, 
pretty much um, the doc series is almost like an answer to the call of defund the police in some ways, instead of giving law enforcement agencies tanks and like sci-fi level weaponry, we should be funding these kind of programs that I feature in the documentary, housing, education, um, family reunification, mental health support and health care. Um, these are the services that we should be providing for formerly incarcerated people to prevent recidivism, prevent their interactions with law enforcement. Um, so the documentary, as I explored through the, through the filming, that's pretty much what I found, uh, even before the George Floyd situation. So, Yes. Um, and I wanted to bring in Deanna Hoskins as well, the president of Just Leadership USA, which works to ensure people most affected by incarceration drive policy reform. Just Leadership will be hosting a program within the, the uh, Democratic National Convention next week called Rebuilding the Table, their Just Us campaign calling on federal and state lawmakers to save the lives of incarcerated people by releasing them during the COVID pandemic. Uh, Deanna Hoskins, as you watch uh, Messiah's amazing documentary series, uh, can you talk about how this can translate into policy and will very much determine whether the Democratic Party's platform looks different from the Republican Party's platform? Yes, thank you, Amy. Watching Messiah's documentary was basically my life story of my son having my son at 17 dealing with substance abuse. And exactly the things and the barriers that were actually demonstrated or talked about in his documentary are the realities. His mother recently getting clean and getting able to get her life together. And I, this was the situation 20 years ago when I returned. So nothing has changed around the barriers for women to reunite with their family. When we talk about policies, having worked on a policy level, funding always come into a state um, from HUD around emergency shelter, but places like Hope House, A New Way of Life, don't receive that funding because they're considered what we call transitional houses, and federal and local funds don't pay for transitional housing, which are the most needed housing for women, especially Black women returning from incarceration, where substance abuse and mental health has actually been one of our issues. So if we're going to start talking about policy we're, we're seeing where policymakers see the big picture, but they don't understand the intricate details such as what Messiah and his mom talked about. The charge kept being incarcerated or prosecuted. No one ever focused on the issue of what was driving to the crime that led to incarceration. And then for women, his mother says something so important that I think everyone forgets. Society expects a woman to take care of her children. So not only do we go incarcerated with substance abuse and mental health, we then have the shame and guilt that we have to come overcome, which a lot of times continues to drive to our substance abuse. So even addressing the trauma that may have taken place during our active addiction, none of those things are actually woven into policy. It's always a Band-Aid issue. And that's why we're hosting this Rebuilding the Table we're tired of Band-Aid solutions. We need real solutions that have real impact in our community that impact and change the trajectory of our lives and our children. Because what we know, if we're going to break the cycle of addiction from generation, 
we have to give people a flat start to bounce from to be successful. So what does it mean to be included in the Democratic um, convention next week? What are you going to say to the leaders there? By the way, Democracy Now! will be covering the whole week and the highlights of the speeches at night, as well as bringing analysis. But Deanna Hoskins. So, Amy, one of the biggest things is we know Biden-Sanders' unity table came up with criminal justice recommendations, and we applaud them for that. But what the one thing that we actually want to bring to their attention is just what we're talking about. While their policies talk about the lack of housing, employment, health care for people returning to the community, they have they missed the boat of the intricate details of what led to that. They missed the intricate details of how do we start evaluating individuals based on possible trauma, substance abuse, mental health when we are always incarcerating people. Does it have to be, when Messiah talked about the defund police concept, defunding police, we're saying the largest budget item in any state, any city, is always corrections and law enforcement. We're saying, with defund the police, invest, divest from law enforcement and corrections and invest in our communities. Our communities are lacking substance abuse treatment. Our communities are lacking mental health substances issues. So we have to talk about that. Messiah talked about the clinic. And those clinics are underfunded because they're not a budget line item in the city's budget. But we have to take from the over-enforcement to cure social ills where this community has lacked the resources, especially in Black and brown marginalized communities. So our reason for being at the table, you're missing a boat. And if you want to do something different, you have to have our voices at the table when you draft policy, not after you draft it for us to carry it. We have to be in the design of the policy. And we know you understand people being directly impacted being at the table because your immigration table had individuals from that community. When you talk about veterans, you have veterans at the table. When you talk about the Disabilities Act, you have people with disabilities at the table. I need Democrats to understand and actually look within themselves what is their implicit bias that we don't have the and, expertise to sit at the table? And I want to give Messiah Rhodes the last word here. Messiah, again, your series, everyone should watch. We'll link to it at democracynow.org. But you have the Democratic leadership now, Kamala Harris, former attorney general and DA, before being a senator. You have um, Joe Biden, who was, um, of course, very involved with the crime bill. Um, what demands are you making? What do you see happening? has to happen based on your life experience with your family and your mom going in and out of prison? Well, I mean, Harris being the VP candidate is pretty much a historical, remarkable thing happening. But at the same time, materially, like you see, you know, my situation with my family and many other families, like Ms. Hoskin, um, black women have been affected by incarceration and law enforcement. Um, policies in a negative way. And as you saw in my documentary, almost three generations of my family was, was infected by law enforcement and mass incarceration. So um, it's really important that we listen to these voices right now when it comes to, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, defund the police. Um, uh, we really need health care. We need housing. We need education. Um, we need to keep families together when it comes to the units unifying communities and individuals. When you affect a black woman, you affect a family. And you affect a family, you affect a community. And I, I really feel that Harris and Biden, hopefully, can listen to these communities and realize this is important right now, especially during a crisis like this with COVID economic 
that they listen to this basic policies instead of sci-fi weapons or kinds of stuff, this housing, education, family unification, and health care. Messiah, we have to leave it there. What an honor to have worked with you here in your fellowship at Democracy Now!, filmmaker, host of the short documentary series Against All Odds. And thank you so much to Deanna Hoskins. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m., and you've just heard an excerpt from Democracy Now!, uh, where Amy Goodman interviewed Messiah Rhodes and Deanna Hoskins on Messiah's new documentary series, Against All Odds. You can check it out online at www.ajcontrast.com forward slash against all odds. Stay tuned for more great Radical Radio on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. So for the next little while, we'll produce soundscapes of the lockdown. So what is a soundscape? It's like a landscape at Sonic, and it helps us create a sense of place through acoustic mediums. And so the sounds that we'll cover each week is aimed to give sound to stage four lockdown on these unceded lands, as the composer who, who coined the concept soundscapes as sounds pertinent to a place, a sonic identity, a sonic memory. So this week we'll hear a few sound bites that our team made or recorded, which we'll put together into a more sonic reflection later down the track. So when I've encountered soundscapes before, they've been of the urban environment to make sense of the spatial and sonic variants in it. And through that, we can piece together geographies, uh, especially here on stolen lands. So for example, what we hear in in this synchronous or in our first soundscape of the lockdown in so-called Melbourne on Coolan land are the sounds of bird songs from spotted doves, which are not actually native to these lands. They were brought here with settlers, like many other invasive species, including humans, uh, in the 19th century. Uh, they are bird native to Eastern Asia, in fact. And uh, we also hear the power of rain that feeds and nourishes land. And then we hear the sounds of human so-called modern life, or the sounds of Oh, in other words, the sounds of, of a capitalist sound architecture or capitalist architecture, uh, where the many cars on the streets and many um, motorbikes on the streets are actually uh, workers. Uh, and a lot of the motorbikes um, were Uber drivers or food delivery drivers um, that were often um, black, black or brown men. Uh, who deliver food to often middle-class uh, white uh, people. So, yeah, through all these sounds, we can uh, definitely sort of perceive and analyse um, more complexity than what we first might hear. Have a listen.
So that was our first soundscape of lockdown, where we try to make sense of the acoustic environment and the nature of this period. And we encourage any listeners who would like to participate to get in touch with us on our Instagram page at uh, 3CR Thursday Breakfast, or one word. Uh, until next week, you're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855am. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55am. We're going to head into a song now. This one is uh, 64 Bars by Tasman Keith. Yeah. 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 They will tell you on the beat. On the radar movement like the wiretap, quiet that. Simulator flew away the quiet taste. Higher rap. They can't touch my ruins on the baddest day. Ego trip. Call these boys when new were on a Saturday. They weak and shit. Cause locked up in the bed. I make baseline play that spit and reach for my name that beef high stake, but if it's like fate, that's it. That's why I don't waste a caption on the sorry rapper And I don't see no one that's in a pack like me The type where if you break your word you'd lose a brother Maintain the respect, my frame is in debt Cause I done been no negative since my uncle done left I done juggled the best, I done juggled the worst And this that diamond made from pressure that stays in the dirt From humble beginnings, reap what you do so In windows that's tinted, you still see my soul My people are dying, my people are broke But the spirit live forever when beasts turn to gold Top three in the country, 
Someone say I'm wrong When you make it out from what I've seen The ego's strong My idols and peers Them changing the year And we ain't got nothing in common You say what you fear I speak for the mission Speak for the ones that raised me Mama used to work from 9 to 5 to 9 on daily Don't believe in the luck Preparation enough And it's that double shot of poverty Start from a buck From that legendary See up be that cemetery ECV we get it buried They gon' see me very rarely In the crib like I'm belly ready They yes man they Jim carry But Ryan chick on my hip carry Pack on my shit get rich carry like Yeah Easy CRB And just then we heard 64 Bars by Tasman Keith. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Oh yeah, top of the morning, ladies and gentlemen, we flying above the skies, 30,000 feet in the air right now. Last year was weird, L-Y-W-W Radio, let's go. Please stop by when there's, but you're caught up in the minute. Mind your own when there's, mind your own. Please stop by when there's, but you're caught up in the minute. Mind your own when there's, mind your own. Yeah, I'm really on that private Flow nice, but I'm never autopilot Niggas tryna get accustomed to my climate Finest tarot card, I'm the highest Flightless birds running like a virus You can't ride with me, solo ride pirate And my ego bigger than a Mack truck Tryna act tough, you might have to cut the pants off And give me five feet flat, nigga, back up Getting way too close with that bad luck Diamonds are the only ones I match up And mad ones in my crew tryna pass up I'm in my element, it's irrelevant On a regimen, to my excellence, bitch, do not disturb Say once, not twice, or I pick up the nerve I'ma say one time, better do not disturb I'ma raise my feet, your defense with the skirt Make a nigga wanna hit it, better do not occur Make a rude bitch mad, cause my ass got the fur And your friends pulling up, cause my M's looking up Yeah, young reckless, you can't test it My game bigger, cause I'm built like Tetris New thing, got a groove like Elvis Going too ham, you don't touch my precious Please look by when there's, but you're caught up in the Mind your own business, mind your own Please stop by when 
There was 24K by TK Meidster. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. Next up, we're going to hear part of a conversation between Marissa Spassaro from the Doing Time show and Vicky Roach, Aboriginal writer and activist. Vicky speaks about her lived experience of prison, violations of human rights, of the health care of women in prison, the over-incarceration of Aboriginal women, and prisons within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode of Doing Time aired on the 10th of August, and Doing Time airs between 4 and 5 every Monday. You can find podcasts of this episode and every episode of the show at 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au forward slash doing time. In case new listeners have tuned in, I'm just wondering if you could just say what land you're from. Well, I'm a UN woman, um, and I'm actually living on UN country now. Beautiful. And just as an introduction for Vicky, the first time I ever interviewed her was when I think, Vicky, you'd just got out of prison and we you were talking about your lived experience and helping that you were helping people, prisoners, to vote. And there was a campaign about that, wasn't there? Yes, yes, there was. And a successful high court action. Absolutely. And in fact, Vicky's contact with the criminal justice system in Australia began even began when she was two. And yes. just wanted to, to alert listeners that she is part of the stolen generation, isn't it, Vicky? Yes, yes, yes. I was a terrible criminal at the age of two. Oh, a terrible criminal that, you know, you removed in an era when Aboriginal children were taken from their families in order to be raised by white people in foster homes and institutions. Yes, well, it was still the age of assimilation. Uh, back then, um, and they were still trying to breed us out. Well, that's exactly right. Because it's interesting, and, and I, I just wanted to, if it's okay, Vicky, I just wanted to also say to listeners that under the law at the time, although I think it's still happening now in some ways, any child removed from their family first had to be charged with an offence. Yes. Yes, that that seems to be the device that was that was used um, to remove most kids. Um, uh, yeah, being charged with being neglected, for example, like 
you know, have, why does the child get charged for that, even if it was the case? Um, yeah, it was, it was a device to facilitate or more easily facilitate the removal of, of kids. Um, but the worst thing about that was um, it might have been a convenient um, avenue at the time for removal, but what it did was um, funnel us into the criminal justice system uh, from a very early age um, because that initial charge was registered as, as a criminal charge um, when you eventually did come into contact with the police, which was pretty much a given um, for kids who were removed, um, you already had a criminal record. So you were never treated as a first-time offender. You were always treated as an habitual criminal from a very early age. And even though it's no longer law now, there are still lots of things happening in regards to to over-incarceration. The, the, the rate of removal doesn't appear to have uh, slackened at all, uh, perhaps escalated. Um, yeah, if we were to, to look at the figures, I'm sure we'd find it's probably escalated. Um, and yeah, it's still a pipeline to prison. And we know that. And we've known that for years. And yet we continue with these same policies that ensure that First Nations people, particularly women and children, are trapped in the system for virtually the entirety of their lifetime. Absolutely, and ironically, in 1991, a Royal Commission aiming to reduce the number of imprisoned Aboriginal people was conducted, and yet the population of Aboriginal women in prison has risen by 148%. It's exploded. It's exploded. Um, because of our high visibility, um, because of racist policing, Racist policing, racist court systems, the entire system is stacked against us from the word go. And, and of course, that becomes our children as well. That's exactly right. And, and in fact, talking about figures, 80% of these women in prison are mothers. Most are on remand. And few have yep. committed any serious crime. Uh, sorry, um mothers in prison, few have committed serious crime. Yes, that, that's yes. Quite true. Um, many of them just can't raise bail. Um, they're not given the opportunity for bail because they might not have a um, permanent address. Um, often magistrates will refuse bail to um, they said as rescuing women from a domestic violence situation um, or drug addiction, homelessness alcohol use, any any of these things can be reasons why a magistrate will remind an Aboriginal woman, woman into the prison system where, um, to be fair, a lot of them think that we will get treatment and help when in actual fact it doesn't work that way. You need to be sentenced to at least 12 months before you're able to access any of the services which are pretty inadequate or totally inadequate anyhow, um, but you can't access them at all unless you're sentenced and you have a relatively long sentence. Yeah, that, that is 
that's really a, a gross disadvantage and a, and a national disgrace. It is. It is. Um, there was there was a oh, somebody looked at the at the stats once, and there was uh, thirty two Aboriginal women on remand in the Dame Twelve Centre in Melbourne at one time. Only four of them received a custodial sentence at the end of their remand. Only four of them out of 32 women. Now, so why were they on the march? Exactly. Yeah. Um, The only solution, of course, is dismantling um, the prison industrial complex, which is not as easy as it sounds because um, you have to dismantle the entire system. And it's not... You don't just tear it down. You um, build something in its place, something that's better, something that is um, people-focused, that is all about healing and um, about communities and families and connectedness. That's what will protect society and keep society safe, not prisons and police. That's very true, and often what what a lot of people don't realise, Vicky, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there are a lot of untreated social conditions that lead to incarceration. Can you talk about those? Well, yeah, heaps um, of them. Uh, homelessness or inadequate housing, um, poor education, lack of education, um, poor quality education when it is accessible. Um, There's nothing... You you need to have a home for anything to happen. Absolutely. Not to mention domestic violence, child removal and abuse. Yes, and all of these things are perpetuated by the system against women. The system behave towards women, in particular Aboriginal women, as an abusive partner does. Uh, I've spoken about this before. They they treat us as though they own our bodies. Yes. And by extension, our children's bodies as well. And they prove this to us time and time again. Yes. By the brutal policing of our children, by the brutal policing of our women and our mothers, um, coming home from a from an after work function and not making it home to to her children in sorts of situations. Um, that's racist policing, and it you know it's not confined to America. George Floyd, the death of George Floyd, um, really kind of um, opened up the the big picture here and enabled us to to voice what was happening to us that nobody was really sort of taking much notice of um, until America blew up. Exactly. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean, and, until there were riots in the street in America. Um, yes, and with coronavirus happening now, and 
the threat of putting people into prison for not observing, you know, uh, social distancing regulations and stuff like that is just absolutely ridiculous. Let's and talk about that. So, so we've, we're on stage four restrictions. There's a pandemic happening. How does that affect prison, prisoners? Look, I can only imagine because, as you know, it's really difficult to um, get, in, get any, any information out of prison, particularly now when visits are restricted. Um, I'm sure phone calls are as well because there would be little um, out-of-cell time to access the phones. Well, for women anyway, men have access to phones in their units, but women don't. Women have to be able to get out of their cells to be able to use the phones. Um, It will be intense. Like, I've never lived through a a pandemic in a prison um, situation, but um, I've been through several several other situations in a jail when there's been extended lockdowns with prisoners kept in their prisons, with women kept in their cells and men. In, in other prisons, kept in their cells for, for really extended periods of time. Some of it was industrial action um, uh, and, and just other things that were kind of out of our control. Um, it's hectic when that happens. Um, the screws are more toey. And if you can imagine what it's like now, like the fear in the community, just in the general community, is high. Yes, screws are not known for being particularly intelligent, so their fear levels will probably be through the roof. Um, they're conditioned to believe that we're filthy and diseased, so they would be treating us like that. And the lockdowns for anybody with sniffles, it's impossible. They can't isolate people um, effectively in a prison setting. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. They can isolate women in their cells and do all the shields and, and stuff, giving them food. Um, but it's just not possible. Uh, there's people coming in and out all the time, like being released and also being sent to prison. Personally, I don't think that anybody, any any court cases happening now should be should be suspended and everyone released on bail. Um, actually, I think everyone should just be let out of prison altogether right now. And we've just had the had the um, instance trying to raise the raise the age where we incarcerate children to more than ten, and they've put it off to after the election. They, they could not even decide that, well, yeah, 10 is really too young to incarcerate children and restrain them and put speed wads on them and handcuff them and isolate them in, in cells, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely. That, that, was, that was shocking to me. I, I kind of thought that that wouldn't happen, that they'd raise the age right there and then, but um, no, we have to wait. It's really shocking. I was actually talking to Tiffany in Victoria from Youth Law about this last week, 
And we also had um, um, Dr. Hannah McGlade talking about it as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. And she spoke quite a lot about, about this topic. So it's not easy. And, and now you were speaking before, just before, Vicky. Sorry, I cut you off there. When you were talking about social distancing and putting people in prison, what did you mean by that? Oh, just that um, people can be sent to prison for, for breaching um, regulations or guidelines at, at this particular time. Um, and I just find that outrageous. Uh, why would you put somebody in prison? Well, conditions in prison are not exactly conducive to um, getting rid of coronavirus. It can actually spread at quite an alarming rate when there's congestion and overcrowding. Well, you think of a cruise ship. They were they were likening the, the towers in Melbourne um, to a vertical cruise ship. Well, you might as well say that's what a prison is. Yep. Except you've got screws who, who go out and, you know, go to the club and play poker machines and, you know, fraternise with whoever they want, possibly work at different prisons. Um, they're, they're more likely to, to spread in the jail than the people they're standing over. Absolutely. But the fact is we've got it in prisons now and I haven't seen anybody talking about how they're trying to prevent it, how they're trying to um, contain it, how they're... Um, Treating people who have contracted it, what they're doing, are they just leaving them in prison? Are they putting them in prison hospital? Are they isolating them in their cells? What, what are they doing with them? There, there's just so little transparency about what happens in prison. And, you know, they just kind of uh, repeat, rinse and repeat, you know, order and security, good order and security of the prison. You know, we can't tell you anything. But we need to know what is happening. Just then we listened to part of a conversation that Marissa Spasaro had with Vicky Roach, Aboriginal writer and activist on the Doin' Time show. Doin' Time airs 4 to 5pm every Monday and podcasts of the show can be found at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Time. Stay tuned for more great radio on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 855am on your dial. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced, Produced by Yan. Hi there, 3CR listeners. This is Shane Howard, the Gowana Fella. These are strange and tough times and a lot of people are doing it really hard. But they will pass. Be kind to yourself and others. 
buy local and like 3CR, support local businesses and local artists. Don't be afraid to reach out for help if you need it and don't hold back giving it if you can. Thanks to 3CR for being their collective voice. You're listening to 3CR 855am Thursday morning breakfast. So we're going to head into a track now. And this is a pretty big track. Um, it's by Duckworth, who is an international artist, but it does feature Kian, who is um, based in Warung. This one is quick. Don't get me started, well, I got you wanting. But you know I can promise you a house too big with a car too quick And if you show face, you can get it too quick I got something on my mind now, uh, let me chop it with your back quick uh, Cause I know you want the whole world, uh, and you wanna meet a white fit uh, You wanna swerve in a nice whip, uh, strawberries on a ice wrist uh, But I got one question, little mama can you ratchet stick uh, uh, Switching gears on a 110, uh, but you know I never exit uh, but I never lose connection uh, If you're feeling that I'm on your line Hit me with a right click uh, And I put that on everything You might met a nigga like this Don't get me started well, I got you wanted Can't give you the bone But you know I can promise you A house too big With a car too quick And if it's your face You can get it too Back in the whip at the condo On that cheese like it's pasta I just might buy you the rock Pass you the rock Cause you MVP on my roster Get you the grip Buy you the block Feeling high like a roster I'm moving so quick Ain't no quitting and stopping And time is my money is ticking and talking These bitches is watching These niggas is blocking They want everything that we got Cause I'm on your line And I got the right pick And I put that on everything You might met a nigga like this we started, well, I got you wanted Can't give you the bone, but you know I can promise you A house too big, with a car too quick And if it's your face, you can get it too quick Don't, don't get me started, well, I got you wanted Can't give you the bone, but you know I can promise you A house too big, with a car too quick And if it's your face, you can track there was Quick by Duckworth featuring Kian. You're listening to the Thursday Breakfast Show on 3CR 855 AM. We now go to an interview with Tina Grantanetti, who's joined us to discuss the movement to cancel RIMPAC. Tina is a PhD candidate at RMIT, a lecturer at the University of Hawaii, and a co-organizer of the Cancel RIMPAC Coalition. Hey, Tina, thanks very much for coming on the show. Um, so before we get started, would you mind letting listeners know a little bit about yourself? 
Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Tina Grandinetti. Uh, I am a PhD candidate, like you said, at RMIT, but I'm originally from Hawaii. Um, and I'm currently uh, back home organizing with the Cancel Rimpact Coalition. And I think it's probably best to start by telling a little bit about my background. So um, I identify as Indigenous Uchinanchu. My ancestral lands are in Okinawa, which is um, part of Japan now, but is also um, home to U.S. military bases. Uh, my mom grew up under U.S. occupation in Okinawa and moved to Hawaii. Um, so I was raised on an island called Oahu, uh, and about 25% of the island I live on is controlled by the U.S. military. Um, so I grew up as a settler on Kanakumali lands in occupied Hawaii. Um, and I consider it my kuleana or my responsibility to um, help uh, in the struggle for the collective liberation of the Hawaiian people and the Hawaiian lahui or the Hawaiian nation. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for um, talking to us about this, because I think um, even though concerns about RIMPAC might seem pretty physically distant to, um, you know, where we're recording out of in NARM or the lands of the Kulin nations, um, obviously these concerns around militarization and settler colonialism are really significant and sort of um, span across uh, these geographies. Um, so maybe we'll start out by um, talking about what is RIMPAC, what does it stand for, who's involved in it, and um, what are some of the geopolitical and ecological concerns that RIMPAC poses? Sure. Okay. So RIMPAC um, stands for Rim of the Pacific Exercises, and um, they are the largest maritime war exercises in the entire world. Um, and they're hosted every two years here in Hawaii. Um, they've been happening since 1971. Um, and in 2018, um, the most recent one uh, since this, or except for this last, this current year, um, it brought 47 surface ships, five submarines, more than 200 aircraft, and 25,000 troops from 25 countries, including Australia, to Hawaii to um, practice war making. Uh, and that involves bombing Hawaiian lands and waters for about six weeks. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that that is, you know, not only tying into the concerns around militarization in the first place, but around connections and responsibility to Aina. Um, so before we sort of get into some of those concerns around um, the effects on land and on indigenous sovereignty, since the pandemic, many countries have still decided to go ahead in participating in, in, the, in these war games this year, Australia included. So why is it so concerning, especially during COVID-19, that this has continued to go ahead? Yeah, so um, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit, but every, every year RIMPAC brings all kinds of um, destruction and harm to Hawaii's lands, waters, and people. But this year, especially <laughs> in the midst of a pandemic, um, it brings along a whole other set of risks. Um, so when we originally started organizing to cancel RIMPAC 2020, 
um, the pandemic had sort of just reached us here in Hawaii um, and we just entered into our first shutdown. Um, and we, we pretty much assumed that, you know, the Olympics were canceled, all of these big international events were canceled. We thought RIMPAC would sort of be canceled on its own and we could claim the victory as our own <laughs> if we made enough noise. Um, because Hawaii, you know, has a history of devastating epidemics that have affected Kanaka Maoli, the indigenous people. Um, it is an island in the middle of the Pacific with limited medical facilities. We really just assumed that if these war games are supposedly about national security, then public health would count as a national security issue. Um, unfortunately, the games were not canceled, although they were scaled down. So the U.S. Pacific Fleet, the host of the war games, um, sent out the invitation to all 25 nations, but because of the pandemic, only 10 accepted the invitation. Um, they also announced that RIMPAC would be an at-sea only event. So although these are maritime exercises, most years uh, that also includes um, land-based activities. This year it's an at-sea. Um, event um, and it's also been shortened so with all of these different concessions we were told that the risk has been minimized um, but what we've been um, learning from fellow coalition members who we've been organizing with in Guahan or Guam um, is that these Navy ships are actually incubators for the virus you know it's a large number of people living in close quarters um, with in poorly ventilated spaces um, so in what we saw in Guahan was uh, that a Navy vessel called the USS Theodore Roosevelt had an outbreak. This is sort of in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, over a thousand sailors tested positive for COVID and had to be quarantined. Um, and then thousands more were quarantined in civilian hotels in Guahan. And Guahan has extremely limited medical facilities. Um, at, I think an aging population and, you know, in indigenous cultures, our elders are cultural treasures. Um, so we were working with activists in Guahan who were warning us that um, at sea only can't be guaranteed, you know, and if an outbreak were to happen on any of these ships, then Hawaii would have to bear the consequences of that. Yeah, that's hugely concerning um, and, you know, so resonant. I mean, we can see foreshadowing the incidents in Guahan, but also uh, the, the incidents with the cruise ships in Australia where, um, mm -hmm. you know, at, effectively once transmission occurs on, in, in those sites, it, it's, it's impossible to control um, yeah. and will lead to community transmission. Um, so tell us a bit about the Cancel RIMPAC coalition. Um, who's been leading it? And um, you had a convoy on Sunday, the 16th of August. How did that go? Um, yeah, it was so fun. Um, so the Cancel RIMPAC coalition is, it's, I guess it kind of just grew out of the urgency of the pandemic this year. So it's a group of lots of activists, educators, um, kia'i or protectors of aina, and all of us, yeah, all of us just sort of responded to the immediate threat of the pandemic, but many of us had already been working on issues related to the exploitation of Hawaii's lands and waters. Um, 
And on this past Sunday, we organized a convoy. Um, it was one of the few socially distant um, forms of protest we could engage in at the moment. Um, we gathered about 80 cars and drove from a place called Sand Island to Pearl Harbor, where uh, 20 vessels were docked for logistics stops ahead of the exercises. And then we drove um, back around to Waikiki, which is our, our tourist hub on, on Oahu. And I think the route was kind of symbolic in that we drove to the heart of the U.S. military in the Pacific, Pearl Harbor, um, and then to the heart of our tourist industry, um, which is very much tied to the military industry. So usually during RIMPAC, after <laughs> 25,000 troops come to Hawaii to bomb sacred Aina, they then get Liberty Days where they can, you know, go on tours, snorkel with turtles, um, learn how to surf, and basically vacation on those same lands that they had been um, practicing war on. Um, so, yeah, it, it actually ended up being, you know, weirdly fun. There's joy in the resistance. We had a um, resistance playlist that a Kanaka rapper and musician put together for us. So though we couldn't like protest together, we kind of made it a collective experience. Yeah, that's so beautiful to like have these generative sides of resistance come out of such a horrible and um, destructive um, exercise that the that the U.S. military is pushing ahead with. Um, so you mentioned before linking up with um, organizers in Guahan. Um, how does the push to cancel RIMPAC link into these broader uh, demilitarization, sorry, and sovereignty movements in Hawaii and across um, the Pacific Rim? That's such a good question. Um, and it's one that we think about a lot because, so from the perspective of Hawaii, the US military is an occupying force um, that is um, you know, key to the suppression of Hawaiian sovereignty. Um, and we feel the impacts of that every day, but we are also very aware that Hawaii is also this project like site where the US can project its power into the Pacific. So we are home to um, the Pacific Command, which is the headquarters uh, where um, basically the US projects its power into the whole Indo-Pacific region. So that's, that means not just the Pacific Ocean, but all the way into the Indian Ocean. Um, Haunani K. Trask, a Hawaiian feminist scholar and revolutionary, talked about how every time the U.S. goes to war, it takes more land here in Hawaii um, because empire passes through us. And so we become complicit in the violence against other victims of U.S. imperialism. Um, so we have been actively trying to organize transnationally. Um, at this point, you know, it's mostly <laughs> just through Zoom, um, but we also find it really, really important because our coalition is made up of Kanaka, but also people like me who come from other militarized islands. And we've seen, we know from our own histories that um, our resistance is, also, is often pitted against each other. So for example, um, the movement against US bases in Okinawa was successful to some extent in, um, 
a troop reduction, but the U.S. troops from Okinawa were then sent to Guahan, and um, their relocation justified a massive military buildup um, that's currently taking place. So we are trying to be in constant communication with each other so that we can um, fight against the transnational system of violence um, through transoceanic solidarities. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I wanted to return to this question of um, Indigenous sovereignty as being something really key to a lot of these demilitarization movements and linking into, um, you know, the appropriation of Indigenous lands and um, the violent attack on Indigenous lands that occurs through these war games. Um, so maybe I'll ask if you can comment on on the sort of uh, linkages between um, Hawaiian sovereignty movements and demilitarization that's been going on for, I know, much longer than just the 2020 Cancel RIMPAC um, coalition. Yeah, absolutely. So we sort of trace our genealogy to the Protect Koho'olawe Ohana, um, which was a group of young Hawaiians in the 70s who fought to protect an island called Koho'olawe, which was being used as um, a bombing like at, for, tar- for target practice by the U.S. military. Um, they were amazingly successful. Uh, they went through about a decades-long struggle to stop the bombing. Two young Hawaiians lost their life in that struggle, um, and it really ignited um, the modern Hawaiian movement for sovereignty and aloha aina, love of the land. Um, but the movement to protect Ho'olawe was also a movement to cancel RIMPAC because during RIMPAC, the U.S. would invite um, other countries to come bomb Ko'olawe. Um, and unfortunately, um, the PKO's efforts were not successful at stopping RIMPAC. And so sometimes, you know, it's like frustrating because I, I was listening to archival footage of the Ko'olawe struggle and I saw um, an activist talking about how the U.S. was inviting five countries to bomb Ko'olawe, to bomb Hawaii's lands and waters, um, and we needed to stop it. Um, now the U.S. invites 25 different countries. <laughs> so that violence and pain is still happening. Um, but I kind of... I guess this is a pers- weirdly personal part of the story now, but I texted a, a friend and another coalition member after watching that archival footage and I was like, man, you know, sometimes it feels so hopeless. Um, these, these kia'i, these protectors of Aino were so brave and so powerful and um, we're still fighting that fight, but now RIMPAC is even bigger. And he was like, yeah, but they won Ko'olawe. Like we beat the U.S. military once. We're going to do it again. Um, so I think that um, RIMPAC ties into the suppression of Hawaiian sovereignty, but it also ties us into these like really powerful histories of resistance. Um, so it's kind of, you know, there's, you can look at it one way or you can try to find the power in it. Definitely. And um, all of our solidarity with, with the movement to cancel RIMPAC and also with Hawaiian sovereignty movements um, because as your friend said, you beat them once, you can do it again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, 
thank you so much again for joining me. And before we wrap up, uh, where can listeners find a bit more information about the Cancel Rimpact Coalition online? Um, you can follow us on Facebook at Cancel Rimpact Coalition or Instagram at the same place. Um, at the moment, we are posting up a ton of sort of like guerrilla activism that's popping up all over Hawaii. Um, there have been mysterious banners dropped from freeways and um, abandoned military installations um, calling for the end to RIMPACT. And it's really fun to see. So I hope you um, follow along. Yeah, it's pretty inspiring seeing all of the FRIMPAC um, banners <laughs> that are popping up on, you know, these abandoned military sites. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, okay, so one last thing is that, you know, RIMPAC, um, it's, it's a huge event, but because so much of it happens at sea, it causes massive destruction at sea, it tends to be vi invisible from land for the most part. Um, so I didn't even know about it until five years ago. Um, and a lot of people are just learning about it. But I think that what's cool is that the pandemic, you know, highlights the absurdity of it all, that in the midst of so much human suffering, our government, rather than providing us with, with health care, wants to practice warfare. Um, so it's been really cool to see how quickly um, people have sort of come to the movement and how fast it's growing. I think that's like, <laughs> yeah, one of the sad things about the pandemic is, we, you know, hard but it also gives us a moment to reflect and imagine something better absolutely um thank you so much again for coming on the show tina um it's so good to talk to you again and um really important to build these sort of transnational coalitions of solidarity there's a lot to fight back against but um we take the wins where we can get them and i'm really confident that there will be more to come thank you so much for having me and helping to build this transoceanic, transpacific solidarity. If you're just joining us, that was an interview with Tina Grandinetti, who joined us all the way from Oahu to discuss the movement to cancel RIMPAC or Rim of the Pacific Exercise, the world's largest international maritime war games. And that's all we have time for this morning on 3CR Thursday Morning Breakfast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, now a bit of a rundown of the show just before we go. So first up, we heard an interview with Messiah Rhodes, filmmaker and host of the documentary series Against All Odds. And then we heard a beautiful soundscape produced by Shahrazad uh, titled Sounds of Lockdown. And after that, we hear Vicky Roach, who's an Aboriginal writer and activist, who spoke to Marissa Spasaro from The Doing Time Show about her lived experience of prison. And finally, you would have heard Tina Grandinetti, who joined us to discuss the movement to cancel RIMPAC. Awesome. Well, a uh, fantastic show as usual, and we're looking forward to bringing you some more very interesting alternative current affairs next week. Um, but for now, we'll have to say goodbye, and we'll throw it a Lost in Science. See ya, Carly. See ya. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.